the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. Okay, for those of you who don't know about the show, the show's in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, nostalgia, entertainment, or whatever. But let's focus first, Beth. Do we have an email question we want answered? We have a very good email question because I know you've gotten this often. This is from a son. Can I loan my dad money to pay for his nursing home until he qualifies for Medicaid? That's a good son. Okay. The the answer is yes, but I've got a question why. And of course, that's part of what we're talking about. We're, we're talking a lot about whys. But, you know, now why doesn't your father qualify for Medicaid? Why doesn't his father qualify for Medicaid? If he does, qual- you know, maybe he transferred a house that's worth a substantial amount of money. Otto's on later. He's not on now. Well, everyone should know I am actually calling from the Ridge where we live. So Otto wants to get involved too, don't you, Otto? I know. Goodness. All right. So, you know, like, let's say for the sake of argument, this is where this case may come into play. Let's say dad deeded over to a trust, you know, a million dollar house or something like that four years and six months ago, and he's got another six months penalty to run. Yes, you could loan your father the six months, hopefully, if it's done the right way, when the house is sold, you can get paid back. Another question, if your father's going to be eligible for Medicaid, how are you going to get paid back on a loan? You know, because obviously he has no assets, but the question is, does he have some assets he can control in his trust that some way you can get paid back or maybe you get a bad, maybe you get a write-off for a bad loan someday if you, you can't get paid back. Also, what you might want to do in some cases, if you pay your father's medical bill, nursing home bill, instead of paying a loan, you might be able to take it as a tax deduction and that might give you significant benefits on that part. And that, that's one of the things. What you may want to do is, is come into our office, talk it over, figure out the best plan because there's no one right answer for everybody. You know, are there brothers or sisters here who are going to fight about the loan? Is it an only child? And what comes out of one pocket goes in the other pocket. So, 
you know, those one of the questions come in. We'll talk it over, come up with a plan. There's no one right answer ahead of time. But you're always welcome to come in and talk to us at Connors and Sullivan about, you know, what is the best thing to do? And obviously, I assume dad's probably in a nursing home. Now, if he's in New York on home care, well, then the loan might be only for a couple of months while the home care is being processed. And that's why sometimes it's hard to answer some of these questions on the email. But please do email us questions. Mr. Cordani, what's our email address? AskMikeConnors at gmail.com. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I learned for the first time that we were on Twitter. So <laughs> what what does... If somebody wants to follow us on Twitter, what do they do, and why would they do that? Well, you would go on Twitter, and uh, you look for us at Connors and Sullivan. You can just type that in, or CNS Attorneys. is at CNS Attorneys. That's our handle. You can find out what's going on with the show, seminar dates, things like that, what we're doing around the town, too. We had some younger friends that were laughing at last week's show because we said we didn't even know we had a Twitter. So, you know, we're making news with youngsters now. <laughs> All right. Well, well I still don't understand the idea behind Twitter, but that's at least you weren't <laughs> booted off. There we go. But we don't have we don't have to say it out loud, though. All right. <laughs> now, each week, Kevin McCullough reads one of our questions that's emailed to us on his show that broadcast Monday through Friday on WMCA 570, The Mission, at 3 o'clock p.m. each day. And he's on 5 o'clock Monday through Friday on 970, The Answer. Of course, he does an extra hour on Wednesday because he shares the show with John Katsimatidis on Wednesdays. So, Kevin? Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that uh, Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan will be here to answer a question that you have. That's why we encourage you to send those questions to askmikeconnors at gmail.com or to call him at 718-238-6500. But, Mike, this week's question comes from Chris, who asks, how legally binding is a promissory note? Mike Connors. Yeah, well, a promissory note ordinarily is legally binding, assuming it's signed and, you know, and it's clear enough in its terms. One of the things, I think the question may apply to a promissory note when somebody's going to a nursing home. In order to apply for medical assistance, Medicaid, to pay for the nursing home bills, basically they have to be below $15,000 in assets. So what we do sometimes, we use a promissory note. We, in effect, give some money to the kids, and then they pay part of it back in a promissory note, and that makes the parent eligible for nursing home Medicaid. And yes, it's binding. It's got to be done properly, but it is binding, and it's a very good tool to save assets from a nursing home. It's really not much different than just a simple contract, right? It's a, it's a lot more than that, because you have to, if you don't, Medicaid in New York City likes nothing better to say, hey, you made a mistake, Bye. Oh, okay. Well, um, I've I've used promissory notes on more than one occasion, not to get anybody uh, Medicaid or to have them in nursing homes, but I've they are they are commonly used thing. And uh, Chris, I hope that answers your question. Now, if you've got more questions for Mike, he answers them every Saturday morning at eight o'clock on his uh, radio broadcast called Ask the Lawyer. That's on uh, AM five seventy The Mission, and he does the same on Sunday mornings at eleven a.m. on AM nine seventy The Answer. And Mike, I appreciate all your hard work for our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again to Kevin. A lot of times we have one of our attorneys in the office come in and ask an email question, but we don't have an attorney available right now, so we called on one of our senior paralegals, Galena Korchak. And and Galena, can you read us the email question? 
Okay, so one of the email's questions is, if I'm not going to owe estate taxes, do I still need to worry about designating beneficiaries for accounts? The answer is yes, because even if you don't worry, worry about estate taxes, and right now if you're a New York resident, there's no estate tax under $5,740,000. The federal amount is $11,400,000. So you're under that number. You say, hey, I don't have to worry about taxes. Do I have to put beneficiaries on my accounts? Well, if you don't, those accounts are going to go through court. They're going to go through probate. And in some cases, probate might be worse than, you know, estate death taxes because you never know. You may have relatives that may not cooperate in the in the probate process. And probate sometimes can take years if somebody's going to contest your will. If you have a beneficiary on your account, a few days after you're gone with a death certificate, the beneficiary can go to the bank or trust company, brokerage company, and with a copy of your death certificate, they can then access that account and collect it immediately. If you don't have a beneficiary, those accounts go through probate and it goes through court. At the very least, it'll probably take three to six months to probate, even if everything's in order. And if you have one or two problems, probate could take years. So yes, now if, if let's say you have 10 nephews and nieces. And you can't keep all your accounts even. You want to keep everything even. You can't keep everything even between the 10 nephews and nieces or among the 10 nephews and nieces. That's one case where we might do a trust. We do a trust so that you put one or two of your nephews and nieces in charge. They sign the trust agreement. They're going to divide everything. We're going to say now in 10 equal shares. And that way we avoid probate and we keep everything equal. And trusts are very flexible documents. They're a way to avoid probate. It's a vehicle we can help save on taxes, especially between husband and wife. We can get double the tax exempt amount out between husband and wife, even sometimes brothers and sisters, and we can get it out tax-free to the next generation. And, and, and that, again, is the idea behind estate planning. Now, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. From the Ridge. And Galina Korchuk from Caras and Salon. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a couple Ray minutes. Galina. Hi, hi. <laughs> For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., and at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens, on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 718- 2386500 that's Connors and Sullivan 7182386500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com find out what you're entitled to come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar for more information call 7182386500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com Connors and Sullivan plan now for later 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. About six months ago, we had the great Ed Bars on the show, and he was talking about Tom Sweeney. And then he started going off about how Tom Sweeney organized an invasion of Canada right after the Civil War, and some people said, what? Never heard of that. Well, to shed more light on when the Irish invaded Canada, we have Christopher Klein, who's written a book of the same name. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Thanks, Mike. I guess start from the beginning. A a lot of people don't even have an idea that after the Civil War, some Irish Civil War veterans invaded Canada. Yeah, it's a totally unknown story here in the United States because it's overshadowed by the Civil War itself. And when we learn in the history books, it just goes right to Reconstruction. Uh, So it it is this little-known segment of American history, but it is this incredible story filled with military battles and rights over citizenship, um, putting together a private army. Uh, So there's a lot of echoes of other events through American history that are that are in this story. What was the plan, well, we'll say the Fenians, what was the plan of the Fenians to invade Canada? There's several thoughts behind it. One is that they're going to go into Canada, just gain a little bit of territory, and then by doing that, the United States would grant it belligerent rights, which would allow it then to send privateers out to disrupt British shipping. Another idea is that Canada this time is a is a colony of Great Britain, just like Ireland is. And there's a thought that maybe what they can do is divert some of the British troops from Ireland to Canada, which would make them more susceptible to an uprising back in Ireland. The other idea is that what might happen here is that they can actually spark a war between Great Britain and the United States. And this is also sort of a little-known aspect of, of the Civil War, is just how close Great Britain and the United States came to war themselves. And this is because of the tacit support that the British had given to the Confederacy. There are are Confederate warships that are built in British ports and manned by British sailors. 
So after the Civil War, the United States wants millions of dollars in reparations from Great Britain. So the Fenians think that if they can go in there, maybe they spark a war between the United States and Great Britain. What they can do then is if they aid the United States, the United States will get Canada, and in return will give Ireland back to the Irish people. And then there's this, this small group of mili real militants inside the Fenians who think that they can go into Canada. Once they cross the border, all the Irish in Canada will rise up to help them. And more or less what they're going to do is hold Canada hostage and then ransom it for Ireland's independence. Did that, did that have any chance of succeeding, in your opinion? Very unlikely. But all the odds have been against the Irish for about seven centuries. You know, the luck of the Irish was not something that you really were coveting for 700 years as the British uh, colonized them. So everything that they tried had a very long odds of working, even when they were trying to do an uprising back in Ireland. But, you know, the, the whole idea sounds just patently absurd, you know, today when the United States and Canada share this longest peaceful international border in the world. But, you know, what I try to do in the book is to take you back to that time right after the Civil War where there's, there's a lot of animosity in the United States towards Great Britain. There's a lot of animosity towards Canada itself because that's where a uh, cell of the Confederate Secret Service was able to operate, launch raids on banks in Vermont. They planned a arson bombing of New York City. There's, there's an opinion that this Confederate cell was also involved in the planning of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And there's also this idea after the Civil War that once the country reunites, that the next place that Manifest Destiny is going to take the United States is north to Canada. So there's a plan that's introduced into Congress that actually lays out where the four new states from Canada are going to come in. Uh, there's a plan by a senator from Michigan who has the support of 30 other senators that the way to heal the United States after the Civil War was to put together a 200,000-man army, 100,000 from the north, 100,000 from the south. And what were they going to do? They were going to go invade Canada. And they were going to invade it, hold it hostage until the British paid the reparations for the Alabama claims, which what they were called these reparations that they were seeking. So in that context, this idea is not necessarily as crazy as it sounds today. So that's part of what I try to do is try to take you back about 160 years ago to see that. The Civil War is over. Who's organizing the invasion? So it really is Tom Sweeney is the mastermind initially. So Tom Sweeney is the Secretary of War in the Fenian Brotherhood, and at this point, the Fenian Brotherhood, which is the organization that carries out uh, these attacks, they're operating right out in the open. They have their own uh, Irish Republican exile that they set up in New York City. They have their own Capitol building, which is a brownstone on the north side of Union Square. And inside those rooms, there's a whole cabinet that's working there. There's a secretary of war, they have a president, they have their own constitution. And Sweeney is developing a plan that calls for an amphibious invasion. He's going to launch boats from Chicago and Detroit and Cleveland and Buffalo and then march on Toronto. But it's all a feint for the heart of the attack, which he plans to have a 17,000-man army go right up through the Lake Champlain Valley, seize Montreal, seize Quebec City, then they take control of the St. Lawrence River, which really then would choke off trade to Canada. So this is a, a plan that uh, was really the brainchild of, of Sweeney 
building upon his military knowledge of having fought in not just the Civil War, but in the Mexican-American War as well. Now, let me ask you something. How did they arm themselves? How, you know, how do you just all of a sudden arm a military uh, organization? You, 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 what do you buy, army surplus? Exactly. So there's after the Civil War, there's just hundreds of thousands of armaments and just millions of rounds of ammunition that the United States government is putting up for auction, no longer has any need for it. So the Fenians are going in, they're buying up these weapons and ammunition at auction. Uh, you also have then soldiers who are able to purchase their weapons directly after the end of the Civil War. So when the big invasion of Canada takes place in 1866, the units include a lot of Union soldiers, but also Confederate soldiers as well. So you have uh, men showing up wearing Union blues and Confederate grays and, and fighting side by side because the one thing they shared in common was their Irish blood. But they are able to, you know, uh, fairly openly purchase these weapons. And then what they did was they sort of used their own network um, to ship these weapons up to uh, along the border. So the whole plan is they'll purchase the weapons at these armories and at these auctions. They ship them up along to the border. And then when it's time to send the soldiers up there, then they'll take the arms out of their hiding places right along the border and give them to each man uh, crossing over. Now, did the United States government, did the Andrew Johnson administration know about this? This is the most interesting aspect of the story I found in researching it, is that apparently this is an idea that has the tacit approval of uh, the White House. So there is a meeting in the fall of 1865 between Andrew Johnson, Secretary of State William Seward, and some of the Fenian leaders. And we only have one account from the Fenians themselves. So we have to we have to balance that. But according to their report on how the meeting went, Johnson more or less said he'd turn a blind eye to what they were going to try to do. He would quote, acknowledge accomplished facts. So he wouldn't actively try to help them, but he wouldn't necessarily stand in their way either. And again, this is because Johnson can see the Fenians as a way to place uh, leverage on the British to pay out those Alabama claims that he's looking for. And, you know, why put together that 200,000-man army to go into Canada with uh, men from the north and the south when they can in essence, outsource it to the Irish to do the job for them. So uh, this is uh, something that you see that Johnson really takes a long time to finally crack down uh, on the Fenians and doesn't even issue a proclamation telling American citizens not to join in this until uh, three days after the Americans have left Canadian soil. So what happens? How does it start off? What happens is that Unfortunately for the Fenians, uh, which was supposedly a secret society, the worst, the thing that they were worst at doing was actually keeping a secret. So their every move is in the press the next day. They're very easily infiltrated by American spies, Confederate spies, British, uh, excuse me, not Confederate, but Canadian spies and, and British spies. And so there's not this element of surprise that Sweeney is looking for. And instead of having tens of thousands of men showing up at these five attack points, he, he, the best he has is a, a thousand men who gather in Buffalo. So even though he's got far fewer soldiers than he wanted, the idea is, all right, let's go ahead, 
we're going to launch this attack. And once we get across the border, then Johnson's going to turn his blind eye. We'll have all these reinforcements who then see that we're serious. They'll rush up to Buffalo and to Vermont from all the Irish cities in the Northeast, and the Irish in Canada will, will help us as well. So that, that's the thinking is let's just get onto Canadian soil, and then things will sort of progress from there. And so what happens is on the early, in the early morning hours of June 1st, 1866, there is an 800-man Irish force that crosses the Niagara River and uh, plants the Irish flag on Canadian soil. And there is a, a big battle the next day called the Battle of Ridgeway, which occurred about 20 miles south of Niagara Falls. And the Irish-American uh, army ends up scoring the first victory by an Irish army over the British since 1745. And there's another skirmish later in the day in the, through the streets of, of Fort Erie. Uh, but then what they find is that, in their minds, Johnson has double-crossed them and the War Department uh, led by uh, Stanton, has also uh, put warships out on the Niagara River, which has cut their supply lines. So they don't get those reinforcements that they were expecting. So they're on the ground for uh, about 48 hours. They win a couple battles over British and Canadian forces, but they don't get any extra men coming into their army. So they have no choice but to retreat back uh, to the United States. But um, that what happens then is the ringleaders are then arrested. Um, they're actually released on bail with the help of a local Buffalo lawyer by the name of Grover Cleveland, who would go on to be president of the United States. Um, and then there's a couple dozen Fenians who are also then captured uh, in Canada. They stand trial, and then they're put on uh, death row as well, including a Catholic priest. And this leads to a big um, diplomatic battle between the United States and, and Canada and Great Britain as well. Uh, so that, that's the real heart of the big attack, um, but it's not the only one, which is really interesting too. So there's, there's another attack that will happen a few days later from Vermont into Quebec that doesn't amount to much, uh, but the idea doesn't die after that either. It happened three more times, um, three more incursions in 1870 and 1871 after that big one in 1866. Now, why did the Johnson administration change their position? Well, I think that's partly due to Andrew Johnson not being the greatest leader. Uh, but it's also because of just the tremendous divisions that are inside the government at that time. So you have Johnson, who's um, you know, who's a Democrat. You have the Secretary of War, Stanton, who's a Republican. And in essence, they're also, you know, afraid of, um, you know, angering the, the Irish vote and, and want to court it. So, you know, they're sort of playing a game of chicken on who's going to move first. Um, but Andrew Johnson then would have a meeting uh, with one of the Fenian leaders and uh, a couple of years later and reportedly had told him that he had given them 48 hours on the ground. What more did they expect for him to do? So, you know, he, in his mind, had left lived up, I guess, to his uh, part of the bargain by letting him get over uh, into Canada and, uh, I guess, not making as much progress and, and getting that uprising in Canada that they were expecting. So that was Johnson's explanation of it uh, later on. After they won the Battle of Ridgeway and took Fort Erie yep. <laughs> in 48 hours. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm a little mystified at that part. What happens to Sweeney after this? 
quite rightly, uh, what's what, what sort of an interesting uh, aspect of this is that while he's plotting this attack in Canada and, and he's the Secretary of War uh, for the Fenian Brotherhood, uh, he has not actually left his position inside the United States Army either uh, until Great Britain eventually, you know, protests that uh, American officers actively plotting war against, against them, and, and he is... Uh, then dismissed from the army. But after this, uh, a- after the Battle of Ridgeway, uh, Sweeney is sort of hung out to dry and, and, and sort of made the scapegoat inside the Fenian organization for the failure of this plan. So he is, uh, he is arrested uh, in northern Vermont a couple days after the Battle of Ridgeway. Uh, but he ultimately would not serve any time and then resigns his position inside the Fenian Brotherhood because of the fallout of, of the battle. And he actually then is welcomed back into the United States Army to continue his military career there. Yeah, which I understand he retired at Brigadier General's pay when a lot of guys like George Armstrong Custer were working for Lieutenant Colonel's pay. Hmm. You know, it's a strange world back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why should somebody read this book? Well, outside of it's a great story. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's an amazing story, and it's one that I think it also tells the story about the journey of the uh, the refugees from the Great Hunger in Ireland who come uh, to this country driven by uh, famine in in the 1840s, 1850s. So this really is a story of of that generation who's forced to come to America, ends up fighting the Civil War, but doesn't necessarily forget their homeland and wants to fight uh, for it. Uh, a couple of historical reasons that the Fenians are important to learn about. One is they bring us uh, self-government to a part of the British Empire, just not the one they attended. It turns out that Canada becomes a self-governing country after these Fenian raids because Canadians don't think the British are doing a good enough job of protecting them. And the transatlantic partnership that these Fenians set up where they're going to raise money and arms here in the United States to try to help a revolution in Ireland would ultimately uh, still be around in, uh, after the Easter Rising in 1916 when, I, and when Ireland will eventually gain its uh, – uh, independence from Great Britain. The other thing, though, is I think you know, uh, you know, I, I will give you the spoiler alert here that the uh, Irish are not successful in their plan to hold Canada hostage <laughs> and ransom it for Ireland's independence. But I think it's an, it, it is sort of an aspiring story in this sense that you know they knew that the odds were long and they still decided to fight. And you know sometimes. You face overwhelming odds, and you're not going to always win that battle, but that doesn't mean that you don't put up a fight so that you can maybe progress the fight for a future generation. So, you know, as a fight for civil rights or a fight against cancer, you may not necessarily see the results in your lifetime, but because of your efforts, maybe one of your descendants would. And I think that's the story of the Fenians here. They weren't successful in their own lifetime, but they carried the torch from a previous generation of uh, revolutionaries and handed it off to the next generation, which then ultimately did see that success uh, in the 1920s. The name of the book, When the Irish Invaded Canada, The Incredible True Story of the Civil War Veterans Who Fought for Ireland's Freedom, The author, Christopher Klein. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner, Christopher. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Amelia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Back in the 80s, one of my favorite comedians is our next guest, Yakov Smirnoff. I understand right now you're getting a doctorate, so welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you so much. Thank you. I have all the answers. You have all the answers. Now, why'd you get a yes. doctorate? What are you looking to do? You, you, are you going to run for president of Ukraine? Uh, <laughs> that's already, it's already been done, so that's not going to work. Um, I think that my desire is really to help people understand how to create and sustain laughter in their relationships, romantic relationships. Because in the beginning of the relationship, everybody uh, creates abundance of laughter and intimacy and, and happiness. And then little by little, that uh, fades away. And uh, that became kind of my quest to try to figure out what creates it to begin with and then what makes it go away. And so that's what my 190-page dissertation uh, was about it's called Law of Laughter, L-O-L. And so that's what I defended. And uh, this Saturday, I'm getting my doctorate. Uh, the graduation is this Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, you've accomplished an awful lot in, in your career. How'd you make the transition from being a comedian in the former Soviet Union to the United States? Well, I came to this country in 1977. I didn't speak English, no money, 
but I had a dream. I really wanted to be a comedian because I was a comedian in the Soviet Union. And um, so it's kind of hard to do when you don't speak the language. So that was the beginning of how do I figure this out? What do I do? And what I did, I, I decided to be a bartender because in a bar, you kind of have the same similar audience that you have in the evening in the showroom, only they're facing a different way. You know, they're <laughs> facing towards the stage. This way, they're facing towards the bar. And so it was kind of my a place to uh, test the jokes. And then depending on how many tips I would get, uh, I knew if it was funny or not. So what was your big break? What got you into the big time? I think coming to the comedy store and uh, at the, in Hollywood and uh, Mitzi Shore, who was the owner, she just passed away uh, eight months ago. And uh, she she kind of she she liked what I was doing, even though my English was very uh, bad at that time. But she liked the character or the, the, who I was, and she suggested that I stay in uh, in Hollywood. And I was living in New York at that time, and I said, well, I have my parents in New York. I, I have uh, only a 10-day window that I need to become a star and then go back to New York and buy a Fifth Avenue apartment for my parents. And she said, it might take a little longer. <laughs> and uh, I, I and she said, but come back and um, watch the show, the regular show, not like the amateur show. And so I walked in uh, in that uh, comedy play, comedy store, and next day, and first person on stage was Robin Williams, who just hit the, the number one chart with more Mindy and followed by Billy Crystal, followed by um, Richard Pryor, followed by Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, I I was sitting on the back of the room, pinching myself, going, I already, I'm ahead of schedule. I, I'm already here. I made it. And it was the best thing that happened to me. And after that, I got a movie with Robert Williams, Moscow on the Hudson. And after that, uh, with movie with Tom Hanks, Money Pit, and movie with Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson, Heartburn, and all of a sudden my career was taking off. The transition. You were a comedian in yeah. in the Soviet Union. Yes. What's the difference between doing comedy in the Soviet <laughs> Union and the U.S.? Well, I think there's a story there. Uh, yes. Well, uh, in the Soviet Union, those days we had a Department of Jokes, which is... Wait, 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 wait. There, there was a government institution called yes, Department of yes. Jokes? Okay. Ministry, Ministry of Culture had the Department of Jokes, and it, uh, they had Department of Everything, Department of Music, Department of Poetry, Department of Singing, Department of Dancing, and there was a Department of Jokes. So if you wanted to be a professional comedian you would have to submit your material to Department of Jobs. And they would approve it once a year. And that's what you had to, you had to stay with that script. You could not improvise. Uh, if somebody heckles you from the audience, all you can say, come back in a year and I'll, <laughs> I'll censor something for you. How, how do you make a living? Well, how'd you get paid and how do you make a living under that system? Well, they, they, everybody was getting paid the same. So the government would uh, pay the doctor or uh, or a plumber 
or comedian the same amount of money. So we didn't really, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything. I lived in a communal apartment with nine families. My parents and I in the same bedroom till I was 2060, we left for America. And so that was normal life there. So you just try, they give you an itinerary and you go uh, play the theaters that were government owned and operated. Uh, so it's kind of a welfare system uh, because you didn't have to be, you didn't have to uh, strive for anything because no matter how hard you strive, you would be still at the same place. All right. You come to the States, you're in a completely different culture. How did you adjust? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I sense the opportunities and that was exciting because I could see that there are people, you know, uh, especially comedians who were uh, famous. They had a car, they had a house. I mean, those things were very, when you live in, when you're coming from that environment where you didn't have anything, that's a great incentive. And that's what I was going after uh, and also, that was kind of materialistic uh, approach to it. But I also love the uh, audience response that they appreciated me. And so that was all part of that package that kept me moving forward. Now, of course, a lot of us, which enjoyed is is your perception you know, talking about the difference between the Soviet Union and the United States. And, of course, some people out mm-hmm. there may not even remember there was a Soviet Union, but that's another story. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, that was that was my thing. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed in uh, 1991, David Letterman had a top list of things that will now change. And I made number one on the list. Yakov Smirnov will be out of work. And I thought it was kind of funny but six months later, it wasn't. So uh, the contracts that I had in Atlantic City, Reno, Tahoe, uh, all of them were not renewed because they, nobody said they felt that, you know, we used to have tension. We used to have a headache from the Soviet Union. Now there is no more headache. Why do we need an aspirin? So as an aspirin, I was put on the shelf and. I started looking for a place where they did not know that the Soviet Union collapsed. And I ended up in Branson, Missouri, and they still don't know. And I'm not telling them. (laughs) Okay, very good. Do you have any comments uh, about Russia today uh, or the former Soviet Union, the countries that made up the the former Soviet Union? Well, I think, you know, uh, see, the, the beauty about getting rid of communism uh, is, uh, you know, it gave people freedom to choose what system do they feel more comfortable with. Uh, the communism was imposed on them by Lenin and Karl Marx. And they didn't really, I mean, they took it because they were promised that they could create an am- amazing society in which, which is sounds like, Bernie Sanders at this point, uh, it it just it's utopian, and it says that everybody will just work as much as they can, and they will get whatever they need, and that just doesn't work. Human nature is is not uh, meant to be that way. There is a hierarchy of things, and people who work harder 
and have more uh, focus and power, they get more benefits. So I think that the Soviet Union now, let's say, take Russia, they went back basically to um, to the czar mentality because Putin is that czar today, and they embraced a little bit of the capitalist society. So so it's kind of they created their own system which works for them at this point. Besides getting your doctorate, congratulations on that. What, what else are you doing? Well, when you write a 190-page dissertation, uh, that keeps you busy. Uh, and uh, graduation is this Saturday, and I'm doing shows in my theater in Branson, uh, like uh, July 4th through the, uh, July 11th. I'm uh, 13, actually. July 4th, you can go on yakov.com. Uh, Y-A-K-O-V.com for schedule. And uh, then I go, um, I'm doing shows around the country. Just to, uh, again, you can see that on my website. Um, I do, I go back to the comedy store every Friday night, just so uh, this Friday night, I'll be there in a cap and gown, uh, kind of getting used to uh, getting uh, used to my graduation attire and uh, very, very busy, just got married uh, to a wonderful Ukrainian uh, young lady that uh, I met in Ukraine when I was doing a seminar on relationships and how to sustain laughter and happiness in a relationship. So we got married in January, and it's been an amazing journey. So I'm very, very happy and very blessed. Well, God bless you. Hope everything goes well. Yeah, I'm graduating college. I got married. Maybe I'll get a driver's license. <laughs> What's next? Anything else? You got your doctorate. What's the next um, step? I have a meeting. I have a meeting uh, at, uh, Thursday at Sony Pictures uh, to discuss a television show like daytime TV on um, helping people sustain laughter in their relationships. So we'll see where that takes us. I hope it's going to be successful. I think it'll be successful. And let us know and come back anytime you want on Connor's Corner because this company, we have about 12 uh, former employ- 12 employees who used to work in the former Soviet Union, whatever country it was at the time. Mm, okay. I appreciate you inviting me. I would be very interested to explore more with you guys. Okay, well, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you for having me on. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com.
Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Speaking from the Ridge. And Galena Korchak. And Galena Korchak from Connors and Sullivan. Okay. Now, Galena, did you ever hear of Yakov Smirnoff before You know, the show? to tell the truth, no. It was my first uh, just appearance and just knowledge about him today. But I am definitely impressed because, first of all, this guy came from Ukraine, from Odessa. It's the first thing. And Odessa is the, you know, is the empire of humor. It's a lot of beautiful, talented um, uh, comedi- uh, comedians uh, just uh, grew up there. And uh, one of them right now, currently, he's alive and very famous uh, all over the post-Soviet Union uh, countries is Mikhail Zvanetsky. And I was so impressed talking to Yakov uh, Smirnov that because he came to United States without even knowing English, he uh, uh, he knew only a couple words, and later on he became very famous comedian here in the United uh, States. So it's uh, it's amazing, definitely. He's very talented, and when I watch his just performance on YouTube, I found that he is really talented and very very humorous, and a lot of humor from his uh, uh, during his performance. So I'm impressed that he is the person who came from the same country, from Ukraine. And I'm proud of him. Very nice. Very good. Now, uh, some of you are going to say, I didn't know the Irish invaded uh, Canada, but that's why you may want to read Chris Klein's book. And you also might want to check up, Chris, do we have uh, Ed Bars' interview uh, about Tom Sweeney? 
Yes, we when do. He talked right about on the, the YouTube channel. That's right there. Right. When he talks about the Battle of Ridgeway and they whipped him. <laughs> <laughs> that's an Ed Bars' quote about when the Irish invaded Canada because they, they won the Battle of Ridgeway, they captured Fort Erie, and then the Johnson administration cut the legs out from him. Chris Klein probably has the, the, the best reason for that. Andrew Johnson was just not a very good president. You know, so... <laughs> It's it's as simple as that. And I guess maybe sometimes you look for complex reasons. We're going to be doing seminars at the end of May. We're going to be all over Queens. Matt at the end is going to give you the times and places. But if you want to learn about estate planning and elder law, come to one of our seminars. We're, we're going to be in, you know, Howard Beach. We're going to be in Bayside and we're going to be in Maspeth. But if you have any questions about estate planning, elder law, what to do with your house, how to get your assets protected from nursing home bills, how to avoid taxes, how to get your house tax free to your kids, then come to one of our seminars and I'll answer the question for you. And, and if you want to call for a Reservation, it's free. It's open to the public, but we like to know how many people are coming so we know how to set up the room and, and how many seats to have and how many packets to be available. So if you want to come to one of our seminars, please give us a call at 718 238 6500. 718 238 6500. You say, wait a minute, you're in Queens. You know, I don't live in Queens. Well, you know, in June, we're going to be in Manhattan and Staten Island. July or August, we'll be in Brooklyn. I know some people up in the the Bronx say, what about us? Well, if, if you have a church, you have a senior citizens group, you want to give us a call, we'll do a seminar for your group. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Wednesday, May 29th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. at Connolly's Corner. 71-17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth, Queens on Thursday, May 30th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. and at the Adria. 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens on Friday, May 31st at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.